But do you ever, ever pause, look at your life as a disciple of Christ and wonder, why don't I get more out of it? In Galatians 5, we read the fruits of the Spirit, or fruits that come from living a life in Christ, with Christ. Do you ever step back and be like, why am I not experiencing more love, more patience, more kindness, more wisdom, more discipline, more confidence, more self-control, more patience? Could it be that we're missing something? That we're missing something, and maybe we don't understand God's word that we're reading. Could it be that despite the fact that I go to church more regularly than I ever have before, that I'm more involved in my church's ministry than I ever have before, that there's still something missing with this whole Bible thing and our understanding. We're in the fifth week of our sermon series, Blueprint, God's plan to build his church. Today, we're going to look at a life of a gentleman named Philip, a gentleman who helped someone else, a new, a new friend, a stranger that he met, understand what God's word is saying, and it's going to help us understand as well. Today, we are in chapter 8 of Acts. And so if you've been with us for all five weeks, yes, that means we're skipping chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7. So let me catch you up real quick. All right, buckle up. Chapter 3 happened last week. We saw that Peter and John healed a lame man, a man who was lame from birth, right? And it taught us a lesson to look at how we deal with challenges in our life. Chapter 4 happened, and Peter and John preach a sermon to a group called the Sadducees, the ruling religious authorities of that day. And chapter 4 sees for the first time, persecution happened to this new Christian movement, this new Christian church. Because the Sadducees didn't like what Peter and John were saying, and so they locked him up in prison. But they didn't do anything. They let him go the next day, and they said, hey, we're going to let you go as long as you just stop it, okay? Just stop talking about Jesus already. Peter and John said, hey, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Chapter 5 happened, and Dr. Luke who wrote the book of Acts, gives us a rather uh, transparent look into the church. So far, we've seen a church, God's church, being built, and it's kind of impressive, right? It is rather perfect from the outside. But chapter 5 shows us that there's sin in the church. There's sin in the church because the church is made up of sinful people. And we see Ananias and Sapphira, people who are a part of this church, lie unnecessarily about how much they're giving to church, and they lose their life because of it. Chapter 6 goes on and gives us further insight into this imperfect people in this perfect church that God built. And people are arguing. People are arguing because the church has grown so large that a certain group of widows that the church was taking care of was starting to get overlooked. And so the apostles, they thought together. And what they did is they thought, hey, because we're the pastors and we should devote our time to preaching and teaching, we should hire other people to help us do the ministry here. And so they hired seven gentlemen. One was named Philip, who we're going to talk about today. Five other guys, I can't pronounce their name. And the final one was named Stephen. And Stephen had a gift. Like all of them, he was filled with wisdom and the spirit, but Stephen could preach. And chapter 7 happened, and Stephen delivers one unforgettable sermon to the Sadducees again. But this time it doesn't turn out well. In our last sermon for this sermon series, we're actually going to circle back and look at Acts chapter 7. But let me warn you, it is a sad chapter. 
because this is the first time that we see a martyr in the Christian church. After Stephen delivers his sermon, he's stoned and he's killed. And even more so, all Christians in Jerusalem are persecuted. But, but what we see is that this is a part of God's plan to build his church. Jesus said while he was on this earth that the preaching of repentance for the forgiveness of sins in my name will go out to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And what we see happen is because of the persecution, God's word is fulfilled. His plan is carried out and the gospel is taken outside of Jerusalem. And that's where we pick it up today. That's where we meet Philip once again in, in Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Philip went down to this area, this big city called Samaria, and there the Holy Spirit blessed his work through miracles that the Holy Spirit worked through Philip and through the word that he preached, crowds of people gathered to hear Philip. Crowds of people became believers in Christ. Well, Philip had quite the ministry going on in Samaria. He built quite the church in a rather short period of time. And then this happened. The Holy Spirit came to him and said, Philip, I want you to go. In fact, I want you to go travel on the road south from Jerusalem to Gaza, the, you know, that desert, deserted row. Yeah, I want you to go there. Philip says, so wait, you want me to leave crowds of people, a successful church, a thriving, vibrant ministry, and go stand on the side of the road, right? Holy Spirit said, yeah, that's it. And he did. Philip did, and that's where we pick it up with our sermon lesson for the day. Acts chapter 8, we'll read verses 26 to 40. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candae, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Here he is, out in the middle of nowhere, and he comes upon one person. Oh, he gave up the crowds, but he does find one person. And this is not just any person. It is an Ethiopian eunuch. It is an Ethiopian, a foreign person, who probably didn't look a whole lot like Philip. It's a eunuch. Somebody who was surgically altered so that he could serve in a royal position. It was somebody who had a title. This was a man who had a very important job. He served as the treasurer to the queen of Ethiopia, a a region that was thriving because it was a port city. Well, this guy had money. He watched as this car drove up, as this chariot drove up. He saw the schwanky ride. He saw the nice clothes and felt about this man doesn't need Jesus. And then, sure enough, this is the man that the Holy Spirit told him to go up to. And what's more, this Ethiopian eunuch was a believer. Christian commentators and and Bible scholars all debate, like, how is it that an Ethiopian eunuch with this title and this job and this position at this time was a believer of the Jewish God? But the important thing is, it doesn't really matter, the important thing is that he was. And he was reading scripture. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. 
and think for a second about what this man would have just experienced. He would have just experienced a five-month, yes, five-month one-way journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. And maybe he knew it already. Maybe he knew it before he got there. But when he got there to worship at the temple, he couldn't go all the way in. For one, he wasn't a Jew. For two, he, he wasn't a Jewish man, and only they could go into this area. Uh, women and children had to go in this area. And so there's a third area for Gentiles. And there, yeah, there was an area for people who had defects, and everyone would have known he was defected because he was a eunuch. And so that's all the further he could go to worship. And so he bought a Bible. And this wasn't just your $5 Bible from the temple uh, novelty store. No, you had to have some coin if you were going to buy a Bible, if you were going to buy a book in those days. But he did. To find out more about the God whom he served and worshipped, he bought the scroll of Isaiah, and now he's on his way home reading it. But that doesn't help. It only adds to his frustration. It only adds to his confusion because he can't figure out who the prophet is talking about. Is he, is he talking about himself? Or is he, is he talking about somebody else? And this is where Philip steps up. This is where Philip meets him. And he says this. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. You think about this Ethiopian eunuch. And maybe we can relate. He was wondering, I'm a believer, I know God, but I just don't understand what I'm reading. I just don't seem to be getting everything that I'd like, that I'd hope, out of my relationship with God. So what is it? That's our key question for today. If you're following along on the sermon guide in your worship folder, that's our first fill in the blank for today. Do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand the Bible that we have? That's an important question to ask because you think about this. Americans don't really have the issues and the problems that this Ethiopian eunuch had. I mean, it was fairly uncommon that he would be literate, that he would be able to have the Bible to read it. Do you know the average American household has three Bibles today? The Bible sales industry in America alone surpasses two and a half bucks billion dollars every year not to mention that you can download it for free on any device that you have americans today vast majority of them believe that the bible is god's word they believe that the bible contains everything that you need to live life the way you're supposed to and where's the disconnect why is there still a misunderstanding about what god's word says well, unfortunately, it's because people, Americans, and yes, even Christians, aren't reading the Bible. A study, an ongoing study uh, between the Barna Group and the American Bible Society uh, called The State of the Bible found this. It's kind of hard to read, so let me summarize it for you. One third of people actually, Christian people, actually read their Bible outside of church, one in every three. Approximately one-third 
reads their Bible maybe a handful of times a year. And yet another third of people, Christian people, don't even read their Bible ever throughout the year. Why is this? I mean, we think about the availability, the accessibility that we have to God's word. It shouldn't be an issue. We think about the, the time that we have. We can take God's word with us wherever we go. We think about the way that we feel, that people in general feel about God's word, right? It's not being despised. People believe this is God's word. People believe that this has the answers for life. So why is it? Why is it that there's a failure to understand? Why is there a failure to read God's word? Well, the simple answer is that we have a God complex. What I mean is that each and every one of us think that we don't need it. Oh, say, Pastor, that's not true. I don't, I don't think I don't need God's word. But on some level, on some level, all of us are buying into that, that great American mantra that you can, you can, if you believe it, you can achieve it. You can do whatever you set your mind to. Oh, but we Christianize it, right? We spiritualize it. We say, hey, Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength, Right? I believe what God says. I know that he died for me. I know that he gave his life for me. So why wouldn't the God who gives me eternal life also give me the abilities to get what I want, to get what I need, to get the things that I desire? I mean, shouldn't I be able to accomplish what I want in my job, in my career, if I put in the time? God's given me these abilities. Shouldn't I be able to have fulfilling and loving and meaningful relationships? After all, I know what relationships are all about. I hear about it at church, right? Shouldn't I be able to to do me and and find peace, find happiness, find wisdom, find clarity in life, right? I'm, I'm a morally centered person. But what happens when the lights go out on that lie? What happens when... It exposes the fact that what we want to do with our life is not really motivated by the God, but the me God, and it's selfish ambition. And our relationships fall apart because there's jealousy on my part, and there's discord, and there's, and there's anger on the part of other people. What happens when I can't do it? Well, for Christians, what often happens is that we become surprised or even dissatisfied with our Christianity. Why am I not getting more out of it? And maybe, maybe we even become disenfranchised with our God. But remember where all this started. It didn't start with the God. It started with me, the me God, a God complex. That's, that's a question for us to consider this morning as we think about, do we understand what we are reading? The uh, Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I, unless someone explains it for me? Perhaps a more poignant question for us to consider this morning is, do you understand what you're reading? Well, how can I if I'm not reading the word? And that's our second fill in the blank. It's a question for our consideration this morning. It's certainly no secret that the contemporary Christian picture of Christianity is, is perhaps at best Bible-ish, and unfortunately in a lot of situations, Bible-less. But could it be? 
that God's word, the Bible, is the very thing through which God does give us everything that we need? Could it be that God's word, the Bible, is the thing, the means by which he gives us everything that we could ever want out of Christianity and everything that God wants for us? I think it's important that we read our gospel lesson for the day. It came from the book of John, chapter 15. It's worth hearing again. Eight verses. Jesus said, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What, what do we expect out of Christianity? What, what do we look for in a relationship with God? If we, if we do not remain in him, if we do not remain in his word, he tells us one thing we can expect is that like a branch that is thrown away and withers, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and they're burned. A Christian missionary in Africa once told the story about how uh, one of the village village members that he had from a from a remote uh, mission that he had started came to visit him at his house. Uh, unlike their homes, he had electricity, and this young visitor was absolutely fascinated by the lights hanging over his kitchen table. It was the first time that he had ever seen electricity work. He was fascinated when the pastor turned the lights on and turned them off. And so before he la- left, he asked him, he's like, can I, have a, can I have a light bulb? And the pastor, thinking that the man just wanted a souvenir, a little trinket to take home, he gave him one. We can imagine his surprise when three weeks later he went out to visit him. He went into his home, and hanging above his kitchen table was a light. The very same light bulb, but it was hanging from a shoestring from the ceiling. The man just shook his head, looked at his pastor, and said, you gave me a broken one. (laughs) We we chuckle with that story, but it's what we do, right? We take the the light bulbs, the the good idea of what it means to be a Christian, to 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 get wisdom out of my relationship with Christ, to get to get patience, to get kindness, to get forbearance, to get to get a desire to learn more about God's word, to get forgiveness, to get better friends, to get discipline from my relationship with God, and we hang them all over our house, we hang them all over our lives. And yet, when darkness comes, when hard times come, and it's, it's time for us to turn on the light, what happens? Well, if we are not connected to Christ, if we are not remaining in him and him in us, the lights don't work. They don't go on. 
Christianity isn't this part-time thing that works if you, you know, invest so much, just enough, just remain in Christ enough to be dangerous. No. He says, remain in me and I in you. That's an ongoing, continual, constant thing. And where can we find him? Where can we find God to remain in him? It's in one place alone. It's in his word. It's not in nature. It's not in your feelings. It's not in the wind. It's not in the trees. It's not in your intellect. It's in God's word. But here, here is where the really, really good news comes in. Do you understand that what you are reading, that what you have is able to give you everything you need for life? In John chapter 15, Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. That's why God is described as the master gardener, pruning trees, branches that do bear fruit so that they bear more fruit. It is what he wants for you, for your life. And he gives it to us in his word. He gives it to us in Jesus Christ. And Philip knew that. And so that's why when Philip met a man who was perhaps dissatisfied with how his relationship was going with Christ, he did the one thing needed. He pointed him to Christ. In verse 30, Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open its mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Sounds ironic, doesn't it? That a passage about a suffering servant, a passage about a sheep, excuse me, a sheep that was led to the slaughter silently lost his life, how that is good news. And yet here it is. Here is the good news about Jesus Christ, the good news about Jesus Christ for you, who sacrificially took on the role of a lamb and by his blood, you are already made pure by it and by the words he speaks to you who silently stood before Pilate, stood before accusers, stood before soldiers and was mocked and put on a blindfold and took blows so that you can see him, so that you can see him in his word and one day you will see him face to face. This is the good news about Jesus, who humbly carried his cross as he moved from Jerusalem to Calvary so you would never have to feel the weight of your sins, the guilt of your sins, the shame that comes with sins. No, this is your God who willingly stretched out his arms so that every time you spend time with him remaining in his word, his strong arms are wrapped around you. This is your Jesus who unfairly was accused so that you could quite unfairly have all of his righteousness, have all of his forgiveness because of his love. 
This is your God who is actually taken from this earth, his life taken from this earth. Why? So that when our lives end here on earth, well, they won't end forever, but they will just go from here to be with him forever in heaven. This is the message of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of Jesus Christ that Philip shared with that Ethiopian eunuch. And look what happened. Fruit. He produced fruit. As they traveled along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. The good news about Jesus Christ created fruit. It created fruit in Philip because he desired to grow in his relationship with God. He said, what can keep me from being baptized? It produced fruit in Philip, so he kept on sharing God's word. It produced fruit in the Ethiopian eunuch where he went on his way filled with joy. He went on his way rejoicing. And the reason it does that is because God's promise, Christ's promise in his word, is that if you remain in him and his words, you will. Not you might, not usually or is in the case of the Bible, but you will produce fruit. And I don't know. I don't know if your fruit will look like Philip's with an eagerness to to share the gospel, the good news with those around you. I don't know if it'll look like the eunuch who, who wants to dive more and more into the word of God or who is filled with joy. Maybe your fruit will look different. Maybe it'll be wisdom to, to make a challenging decision that's coming up. Maybe your fruit in your life will look like patience in parenting or patience in dealing with people who, who test your patience. Maybe your fruit in your life will be strength. It will be strength and courage and faith to get over whatever challenges do come up in your life. Maybe your fruit will be wisdom. Maybe your fruit will be discipline to stand up against other temptations. But that is God's promise to you that when you remain in him, he will produce fruit in you. So as we close out today, I'm going to give you some homework, okay? Here's your homework. It is to hold Christ to his promises. It's to test him in his promises. He promises this. He promises that if you remain in, if, excuse me, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, this is my challenge. This is my homework for you this week is to hold Christ to that promise. And you want to know how you hold Christ to his promise? You hold on to him like the branches to the vine. And I don't know, what if, what if you were to do this homework? What if every time you thought about sitting down next to Netflix, you thought, you know, this week I'm going to sit down with Jesus what if this week, as you went about your commute, you thought, you know what, instead of spending time doing whatever I do, I'm going to put in the audio 
of the Bible. Or I'm going to sit back and as much time as I spend doing whatever I normally do, I'm going to spend it with God. Or what if this week, every time you sat down for a meal, so as often as you eat, and we eat pretty regularly here, you decide you're going to sit down with Jesus and eat the bread of life. What if every time you decided to take out your phone or your computer and go on Facebook or social media, you thought, you know, before I do that, I'm going to build up not my social media relations, but my relationship with Christ. And I'm, I'm going to remain with him for just a little while longer here. What if you were to do that? Well, you don't have to wonder what if. Because Christ's promises are sure. Christ's promises are certain. And that you will produce fruit in your life. And it will be to your Father's glory. Your Father, your Heavenly Father, wants you to get everything that he wants for you out of Christianity, out of your relationship with Christ, out of being his disciple. And so he promises that when you remain in him and he in you, you will bear fruit more and more and more. And then you will show yourselves to be his disciples. Amen.